enjoyed that one because I mean Toshi's a very interesting guy <laughs> yeah got to tell you all about his books and that kind of yeah. shit <laughs> kind of boring you guys, you guys were hanging out in London right recently yeah. I think yeah uh, George was over for the weekend so we're just hanging out instead of going to NFT NYC yeah getting there yeah, yeah we recreated our own NFT meetup. Yeah. The last NFT London that happened was a bit of a flop. I didn't actually go to that one. I did really? see that it was yeah. happening, but um, I'm yet to go to a, an NFT dot event. You were in um, you were in Breakpoint, right, at that point? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was the, sure it was uh, the same time. It was, I think it was like the three first days of the Hacker House were the same days as the uh, as NFT London or something. But yeah, that one was a bit of a tragedy when you looked at the pictures of the rooms. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I missed all of that. I didn't even see the pictures, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, it was, I mean, people on Twitter were talking about it. It was just like the rooms were empty. Speakers were, didn't have anyone to speak to. It was pretty sad, but, you know, we were having fun in Breakpoint. So that was great. Yeah, that's what counts. So, Until so... we weren't having fun in Breakpoint <laughs> the last day. <laughs> uh, that was a lot of fun. That was uh, a, a great time. I, don't, I mean, were you? Did you take the plane that day, or what was the uh, what was happening at that point? Um, I remember I was eating lunch, and I saw the CZ tweet, and and the other ones come out, and that's when everything started to fall apart. But I think I was on the plane home, realizing that I had COVID, and watching the market completely shit the bed while having no access to the funds that I did have on FTX. So it was a very fun day to travel home. Uh, that must not. Uh, uh, yeah, especially they're having fun in the FTX probably made it that much worse because I was fortunate enough not, not to have that issue. But yeah, not enough to to hurt, but um, enough to be annoying. Yeah, of course. I mean, at least it wasn't enough to hurt, right? But yeah. So I mean, aside from that, what were the highlights of Breakpoint for you? Because I mean, obviously there was the Boogle event, which was awesome. But what else? I mean, for me, it's the same as every one of these meetups is just hanging out with people that I don't get to see very often and the people that I've spent like the last year or two years now talking to on a very regular basis just going out for dinner having drinks like that kind of stuff being very casual hanging out like it's uh it's something very special that I mean every time people go to these events they realize it but I mean I've been doing it for like two years going to monkey down meetups in the early days of 2021 and it's just a, a very cool environment to be in. You just kind of like meeting up with old friends all the time, but you've met them for the first time. That's yeah, uh, that's kind of crazy. I mean, how did like because you get into all of this stuff, all of crypto, all of NFTs? How was that? That really changed a lot for you. Is has it really been like a changing mark point in your life? Or um, I would say so. Yeah, it definitely changed the like my day to day of what I'm doing and and what I'm spending time on. It's uh, it completely changed it. Before all of this, I was kind of putting on parties. I was uh, doing a lot of design work and creative development and um, creative direction, that kind of stuff, running a design agency. Um, and yeah, it just kind of changed everything. I'd always known about crypto and, and kind of been involved on the side and just kind of buying bits of Bitcoin. But the NFT space was the what really changed everything. And it's kind of everything that I've previously enjoyed all wrapped up into one massive online community which is uh it was really cool to see but yeah it definitely changed a lot for me and and kind of altered the direction that i've ultimately taken in life 
Yeah, would I mean within all of this, would you say that Google was the like major changing factor? Like how how important of a role has Google played in all of that? Pretty massive, to be fair. I mean, I quit my like all full time commitments um, outside of NFTs and Web three at the same time as coming on board with Google. So, I mean, I think I would have done it anyway, regardless. But uh, it, it definitely was the like the best possible result for me at the time like there's no project that i've seen come or go or, or kind of been asked to be involved in that gave me as much excitement as google did and kind of the potential it just um it aligns with everything like i kind of want to do in this space and luckily george is someone that shares a lot of their values and it's like perfect working relationship that we have around that and like very similar directions that we want to take things so yeah it's um it's definitely the the ultimately like best goal um best thing that could have happened yeah. So, I, I mean, at this point, what exactly do you do at Boogles? Because, I mean, I th I'm fairly certain that you do, like, you're, like, full-time with them now, right? But what's the, like, do you have a specific role? Is there something you're more responsible for? Uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Because, obviously, it's only, like, myself, George, and Beats, and then we have the council. It's kind of like everyone does a bit of everything um, and kind of works towards the same direction. But, um, obviously, my background's in music, fashion, that kind of stuff. So... I'm very much like in that sector of it, still carrying that forward as well. Yeah, because at the same time you're working on Acid House, right? Correct. Yeah. So, uh, first question is why Acid? So, I think I guess it comes back to the honorary Google that I was given when I kind of joined Google. Um, when I saw this character, I kind of I was like taken back to this. 80s comic book illustration um that was like in a newspaper and it was around the same time that acid house had just like broke out as a, a kind of a music genre in the uk and there were all these events and parties and the press was demonizing this whole movement um basically there was this kind of smiling figure like a, a in a um, like a hooded figure kind of like a grim reaper but with a smiley face um, inviting people into this club and there's a, a doormat on the floor that says like welcome to acid house and uh, he's like giving out ecstasy pills because that's what was happening at the time in the uk in like the 80s late 80s early 90s you'd go to some of these like really cool underground acid house parties and they would give you ecstasy on the door it's just like part of the event definitely something that you're never going to see anymore but it, um seeing the boogle for the first time reminded me of that and i was like yo let's kind of incorporate this into it because then it kind of pays homage to all of that and touches on like my background in music as well. So it kind of came together very perfectly with uh, with that acid print in the background and then just carried that forward as a, a bit of a personal brand. Yeah, I mean, it, it's clearly worked. And so is, is that the same story for the yellow? Was it kind of like, this is the background, it's been part of the, the acid part, so we're going to carry that forward as well? I mean, yeah, the yellow and the smiley face is kind of synonymous with each other. Um, there was like a, an initial toss up between yellow or orange for the background. I'm glad we went with yellow, otherwise me and Bunger would be beefing a lot more. That was, I mean, Bunger wouldn't have an issue with it. He only has red. <laughs> that um, is very true. <laughs> still the most ridiculous thing in crypto at this point. Um, and so what exactly is Acid House to you? I mean, when it first started, it was just um a way for me to have fun on the side and bring in like a handful of people so there's currently a discord with like 
30 or 40 people in there. And it's just some of the people I've been speaking to over the last couple of years that they have like very shared, uh, similar interests to myself. And we share a lot of the same kind of um, things that happened in previous lives before crypto and NFTs, where there's like a ton of inspiration and art, like art background, design, music, all of that kind of stuff that for me is like hugely important and plays a massive role in my life. And the same for a lot of the people in there. So I kind of wanted to create a place where all these people get together and talk and share ideas and, and kind of share things they're finding that are to do with everything we enjoy that isn't NFT and crypto. Because there wasn't really anything like that or anywhere that I could actually spend time and, and kind of get away from them conversations that were normally just like price go up, price go down. So it's like a, a safe corner of the internet that wasn't too much about anything that we were actually here for, but there was the common ground off all of that. Um, and now it's turned into a bit of like just, and again, as I said, like a fun way of me to do the things I enjoy, which is put parties on around the world, DJ, release like clothing drops and stuff like that. So what do you, like, what are the plans? Do you have plans to expand it? Cause if it I, I guess there's, when you create a company, you can have, like, I, I'm, I look at it on the optic of like creating a company where you'll be like, oh, I want to expand it. I want to have a brand. I want to have all of these things. I want to make money and everything. But given it comes more from that hobby side of just pleasure, is, do you still see it in the same way of wanting to make it a big thing and really focusing on building a team, building a company, all of these things? Or how do you work around it kind of? It's still something that I'm kind of battling internally. Like, what does this become? How does it grow? Part of me is just um, like, I just keep having fun. And as, as long as I'm having fun, that's all that matters. If it needs to grow, it needs to grow. If it doesn't, then... It can just stay being something very simple, just a way for a bunch of people that inhabit the Web3 space to go to a cool event that is on the side of the other stuff that's happening. But yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Definitely haven't got like a defined path for what happens next. It's just kind of like if something feels cool or I want to do something, create a product, create some kind of um, event, anything like that. It's just, now I have this like brand to do it with that it's just kind of be like something I continuously have in the background without any expectation. Is there a team or people that you work with on it or has it been completely you? Uh, up until this point, yeah, just myself. And then obviously collaborating with different people in the space, obviously hands, the hands boys worked with them a bunch. Um, the last drop that I did or, or the first drop, I sorry, that was um, like a collaboration on the stickers with AWAG, Faceless, JJ and a few others. So yeah, just again, like another way to collaborate with people. So up until this point, just myself working on it like solely and doing stuff, but I'll obviously bring in people around me and in that circle that I think could do some cool stuff. And so in, in like the realm of Asset House, do you think it's something that you're, that are there things, well, is Asset House more of a learning experience or is it something where you're applying the things that you've learned in like past lives and in crypto and everything? if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely the latter. It's um, it's kind of like everything I've ever done. And like I've fucked around with t-shirt brands in the past and run clothing companies, big and small, worked in fashion and like agency side design and creative. So, and obviously run parties as well. So it is, um, it's like all the things I enjoy, like wrapped up into this Web3 based version of it, which I think is really cool because previously doing all that kind of stuff outside of Web3, um 
it's normally quite localized and, and growing to a worldwide audience isn't too easy. But in a space like this, where there's so much connectivity and there's so many people around the world I can call friends now, it's like really easy to make it happen anywhere. That's true. I like just on a bit of a tangent, the whole NFTs people always like talk about the whole, oh, the community is all that matters and everything, which sometimes sounds a bit ridiculous. But at the end of the day, at, at this point in time, I feel like there are quite a few people who are really here for the friendships that you've been able to make and the connections that you managed to have with people that are just genuine and based more around interests than we were in the same school or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, that's for me, that's like probably the most powerful part of it that I now have a worldwide group of friends. Whenever I go to any place, I know that there's going to be people there that can show me some cool stuff or take me around or, or do whatever. It's like, that's one of the, the freedoms I think in before, well, before all of this, me and my core group of friends, we're very much like aligned in that kind of thinking where we just want to be able to do these kind of things and put parties on around the world and, and kind of do this stuff. And we know there's so many more people out there that want to do it. It's like, how do you meet them? For me, this has been the perfect way to do that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And within so you're talking a lot about like creating parties why why is it something that's like so close to you so important i think i just enjoy djing too much <laughs> and it's a good excuse <laughs> to uh to do it around the world but um i yeah i've always gone to parties like house techno any kind of stuff like that um collect a lot of records and dj a lot of jazz music that kind of thing so it's just like the perfect accompaniment to, to good company. You got like good food, good music, all of that kind of stuff. It's um it's a very important part of like the visual and sensory experience. Yeah, and so what is like to your mind when you create a party, what's what matters most? Um, I think just the people that are there are probably the most important part of it. And then obviously like you have venues and stuff like that and, and the music. I've been to a ton of events where the music just sucks and, and people like are telling you that the music sucks. So it's it's never a good thing. But if you have the good people, most of the time it can be good fun. That, that reminds me of, I mean, no shade to what, what I'm about to say, but there was a, like a D-God Utes Pudgy Penguins party in Paris. And these guys had the audacity in the like underground place to play in New York, that song, in Paris. <laughs> bit of a banger though uh, yeah, that, yeah i'm not gonna get over that shit <laughs> like guys there's so much there's so many other songs in paris that you can play but anyways it's a, a yeah the music does matter quite a bit obviously it depends of the type of party that you're throwing right because there's going to be the more like clubby type of thing or there's going to be a bit more like chic is there something that's more in your wheelhouse or a bit of everything it is a bit of everything. Like when I was a lot younger, it was purely like house and techno that we we were DJing. Um, but as I've grown up and matured, my taste and like what I enjoy listening to changes as well. Obviously, like the setting you're in. When I'm just at home, I don't want to be listening to like some fall to the floor acid house all the time. Although it's fun when I'm out. Um, listening to like some real cool jazz or soul music definitely hits the spot as well. Okay, and so, oh, just random question. What do you think is the the party that you've most enjoyed throwing? The one you're like most proud of? 
Um, I was pretty happy with the Breakpoint event last year, the Google event. That was uh, that was a very fun one because it was so many new people that I had not met before at the same time, and I'd had this like ongoing relationship with them for the last couple of years. Um, and then to see like just the scale of the venue that because we walked in the same day and, and saw the venue for the first time and kind of like were blown away by it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was probably one of the most fun one in the in the last few years for sure. What um, I mean, I guess what made it so good was definitely the people because that's where you've like that's what matters most, right? But so was that like fun? How did the like organization of it all go to go together? Are there any fun stories regarding that or? Um, I don't know. I don't think there's too many fun stories. No, it, it was it came together really easily. Um, not all events do. There's sometimes it is just a, a complete nightmare. But yeah, that came together pretty easy. I was happy with that one. So, what's the next one you're planning at this point? Whether for like Boogles or anything else? So, I'm going to do a, a few Acid House events over the summer. Um, I think the next one up is uh, Istanbul. I'm going to go back to Istanbul with um, Honor Boy and Django and them guys, um, do something over there. And then, like, something that I've definitely enjoyed doing is just like traveling to the hacker houses and putting on parties on the side. Because I know there's going to be a ton of people there that I know anyway. So do something in Berlin. And, and then probably next one after that, uh, Breakpoint, Amsterdam. Yeah, when is Berlin, actually? Because I remember seeing that. Uh, it's the 30th of August it begins. Huh. I might actually have to check if I can make it. Because Berlin isn't even that far. It's the good yeah, thing man. about the, the, the European events are, I don't know if they're better than the American ones. They're just more fucking accessible to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely they're very accessible i've enjoyed uh all the european events i went to i went to the barcelona hack house last year as well and that was great i think the like the good thing about them is they're a little bit smaller so you can hang out with people for a longer period of time and it's not as kind of rushed about i found that um breakpoint last year was just hectic i didn't really get to spend too long speaking to people that i wasn't with the whole time like george i saw quite a lot and Vitz i saw quite a lot but there were a ton of people there that I bumped into for like t- five, 10 minutes at some event we're at. And then you go on to the next place and you better get to speak to anyone. So the hacker houses were good for that. Kind of more concentrated and kind of more um, like, well, a deeper conversation and, and longer times to chill out. Yeah, it's definitely less of a rush. Breakpoint was, I mean, plus you had the four venues and you're moving from one place to the next. The multiple parties, the overbooked venues. That was... Um, it was interesting. Actually, just, this is a very random and specific question, but a lot of the events that we've seen in NFTs at this point, there's always the one problem. It's the queue was too long. Um, it was overbooked. Massive problems around that. How like Do you think that's normal for these projects? Or is it like badly organizing it? What What is that about? I think sometimes, um, or most of the time, it's about the venues being too small for the demand. When we were at the Istanbul event, the, the breakpoint closing party was in the tiniest little venue. It was packed. like It wasn't comfortable at all. So I would say that most of it comes down to just like organization, not meeting the mark, like, and managing expectations of guest lists and stuff like that. If you've invited everyone who's there for the Solana events specifically, then you need to have a venue that's capable of handling that many people as a, as a basic one. But I saw it recently. Um, a guy posted, 
he bought a ute for like 16k and then couldn't get into the event in new york and had to go and chill in a park with a bunch of other ute holders but um it was all good because frank came over to the park with them <laughs> it's like, like dude, it, it, you should have an event that's big enough for like all of your holders at least to come into because i mean i'd feel pretty bummed if i spent x amount of money on like an smb or dj nape or something and then like yeah sorry bro you uh you can't come in there's too many people in here like you should, minimum, you should cater for your um your holders. Yeah, that's true. That I think that tweet like racked in at least seven fifty likes, and a bunch of people were like, oh yeah, bro, dub, you didn't sell your youth, <laughs> like bro. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Nah, but I mean, that, that like it speaks to the space. Um, I've seen a few print spaces and things like that. In um, England, got. A lot of people that have never done an event or brought products to market or anything like that. So you're seeing people start these NFT brands and companies and whatever else, and they just don't have the experience of these kind of things. And like, there's a ton of shit you learn and mistakes you make along the way. Um, but when you're doing it in this kind of environment, you're getting like beaten on the timeline for it. So there's a, it's a lot more of an unforgiving landscape to learn these kind of things. But it just comes down to the experience and kind of having people in place that can do these things and pull them off. That's probably the thing that most companies would benefit from, like finding someone who can actually plan an event and has done it before. Same with like merchandise and products. You get a lot of stuff that just doesn't meet the mark. I've always thought it's kind of weird how we're holding JPEGs that are worth like in excess of $10,000 sometimes and even higher. And then you're getting like a $10 t-shirt. It's like, dude, can we not have anything better than this? I mean, you're always, it's put under so much scrutiny, but it's true that a lot of people are just building the first thing they've ever built. Even for the most successful ones, like, I mean, whether you like Frank or not, he is making one of the biggest brands ever. And it's like, I don't know, his second time doing something. And it's still, it's definitely not, I, I wouldn't manage, imagine how hard that has to be in like handling all of it, especially with all the public scrutiny. Yeah, I, that's what I always think when I see like Bungle and Hex and them guys start these big collections and you just like sacrifice so much of your time and mental health dealing with people screaming about the most insignificant things when in reality like the the vision of the, the people that are founding these projects is so much longer than anyone who's holding is actually prepared to wait because it does take a long time to build an internationally loved brand of 10,000 people following it. Like it's not something you can just do overnight, but the expectation is that you can. So there's like a huge disparity between what the average holder believes is possible and what is actually possible for a founder who's kind of learning on the job. Yeah, I mean, you have to. It's such a specific culture in the soul space where you need to be able to balance what people want from you and what people expect from you, and the the like. You need to pump my bags, but at the same time, having something that's long term, it's. I mean, I feel like it's the classic story of humanity being looking too short term and then you have issues at the end of that term because you didn't think about it too long, but you have to think about it long term for it to work. But if you do it, if you don't do, if you don't solve the short term problems, people are unhappy. And I mean, it's a tale as old as time, but like people will still fud you to hell for that shit. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the one thing that I'm like extremely thankful for the the majority of people in the Google community understand 
that kind of thing. And like, thankfully, we have a bit more of a mature um, holder. So you don't get the same kind of conversations that you see elsewhere. Like there still is definitely expectations and, and things like that. But I think some of these, these bigger communities, like when they rally together, like amongst this message of like the the founder has failed to deliver something like you can get really horrible for, uh, for someone in that position. I mean, I've luckily I've not been in that, but yeah, the, um, the timeline is not forgiving. Yeah. I mean, thank. I mean, if if Google's had that issue, you guys are a hundred people. That would be annoying. If you managed to have like the like tight knit one hundred person community, and you still have the fud. <laughs> I mean, it does happen like, sometimes. <laughs> We're definitely I, uh, not immune from fud. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the typical Google pump and dump. Everyone knows it. Ah, classic one. Yeah, I mean, we just forget to dump now. It's yeah. kind of annoying. <laughs> I mean, do you think there's any foundation in reality for that thing? Or is it completely people speculating because they saw big bags and they were like, oh, they're the rich Illuminati elite? I think like there's an element of people on the outside not understanding. Um, and then you get like sometimes the like a whitelist allocation is X amount per person, but because we have a more concentrated community and not splitting it amongst thousands... But then you do have a reality where there have been people that uh, have come and gone that did do exactly that. They did just pump like the whole allocation and just dump the entire thing within like a day or two. So there definitely is some point to it, but um, it's like one or two people that have done it and it just creates a bad taste for, for people going forward. So uh, same for any community, really. There's always going to people be people that like immediately dump their allocation but um, yeah, the Googles are an easy one to hate because it's, it's small and <laughs> no one really understands what happens inside. Yeah, I mean, you guys have a lot of visibility, to be fair, for such a small collection. So many people know the Boogles. But is that is that ever like a focus? Because if you have a lot of people that start disliking the brand and start like trashing it, it's not necessarily like beneficial. So does that ever really matter to you guys? Or And how do you actually like fight against the people who are going to like bring that bad reputation down on Googles? Yeah, it's a, a very good point. I mean, we introduced the uh, membership guidelines and, and kind of were quite firm about what we expect for kind of pump and dump behavior. Like it, no one really wants to tolerate it, which is very fair. It just reflects badly. Um, it's not something that anyone condones, I'm sure, unless you're trying to do it yourself. So having guidelines in place and kind of saying that this isn't something we endorse or want to happen because i mean the project doesn't benefit at all monetarily from whitelist or pre-sale allocation so if someone is affecting the value or the perceived value of the project on like something that only benefits them personally it's at the expense of every single member that's there which just isn't fair or isn't something that someone in such a small community should be doing so yeah it's um it's not something we try and like fight against on the timeline. I think George has been a very good um, like advocate of just ignore most of the shit that gets thrown because in the end it's just bullish if people are kind of saying that we get all the whitelist, even though we don't. It's a uh, yeah good narrative. Yeah, so George has been very active on the timeline, making sure people put Google in all caps, and don't forget the S that is not in all caps. Exactly. Yeah, you've got to keep them brand guidelines strong.
It's still the most interesting brand guideline I've ever seen to like that perfect capitalization down to the last letter. Yeah, like MF Doom said, all caps when you spell the man name. <laughs> nice. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, in in this whole like like for your role in Google, how did you actually get there? Because obviously you you get the NFT, you join the community. How was there this transition into it being you, George, and Vitz working on something, which I don't think a lot of people as of now, I mean, me included, know exactly what you guys are building towards, right? Because it hasn't been spoken about, I think. Yeah, it's um, we spoke about it internally and shared a lot of stuff with holders. But there's not been any um, like definitive roadmap that we've put out ever. It's um, it's been very much like ever evolving as the space changes so quickly and kind of finding our feet with that. But the way it started, I guess, was um, I'd like with Jemmy and Norm and them guys. Like we found Monkey Dow August 2021, and very shortly after that, just being like immersed in the space, got speaking to George, and we were speaking like every single day for a while. And just chatting about like everything happening. We're like, yo, we should start a Twitter spaces together, like do this weekly and just like got really friendly. And then he, he basically just said, like, yo, you want to come on board and help out with Google and do some stuff there? So it was like kind of a natural progression into it. And it aligned with uh, my values at the time and kind of what I wanted to be doing. Like I didn't want to be in a Discord of three and a half thousand people, which is nonstop and just like not really the kind of thing I enjoyed. These are smaller more focused and kind of um, like brandable things. Something like Google is the perfect thing for it. So yeah, it just kind of ended up there naturally. Yeah, I mean, the smaller collection also allows for like closer connections and better relationships, right? Than when you're in this like melting pot of a bunch of different people talking over each other, as, as great as Monkey Dot is, right? But yeah, I'd remember I guess... waking up and like having slept for maybe three or four hours um like peak bull market um sleeping pattern was terrible but yeah i'd sleep for like three or four hours wake up and have like hundreds of messages to read about stuff that's like very fast moving trying to work out how a DAO works and all of this kind of stuff i'm like that this like isn't something i can personally maintain so yeah it came at a good time yeah okay so i mean you're how has your like kind of evolution in Web3 been? Because at this point, you're very much like working on Asset House, working on Boogles, and not so much like active on the timeline. Whereas there would have been a time where I guess you were significantly more active in the whole like minting scene and the um, and Twitter as well. But not so much like the evolution of what you've actually been doing, but the evolution of your thought process on what you want to do and what you enjoy doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, I tweeted this disgusting amount in um, like 2021. <laughs> I don't know how I quite hit like that many tweets a day, but yeah, somehow I think everyone was just super active and the conversation was very much on the timeline still. Over the last like year or two, we've seen a lot more people form into these like smaller factions and smaller groups and, and kind of build this community around them or like even those Twitter DMs and stuff like that and trait DAOs. You just get people like split into these different factions which i think is a natural progression of the space but um also i just don't feel a need to be tweeting stuff all the time like 
I, I don't have that much to say about what's happening or what's going on. Like, I don't really care about the majority of um of what's happening around me. It's just kind of like my focus is very much on building out Google and making it incredible and working on Acid House and doing some cool stuff. Like, they're the only things that interest me enough to want to make comment. Like, I'll post some shit posts about some stuff every now and then. But, yeah, there's, um like, the whole minting side of NFTs is an um, – it's, like, not why I'm here anymore or not something I want to spend all my time doing because I feel like there is more value in, like, building something really important and impactful that can kind of, like – merge between what people expect and what people see in the real world that hasn't happened here yet so that's pretty much um the reasoning behind it i guess yeah that makes sense and like at this point in time why i mean what do you think would be because you you mentioned like you just said like the the impact that you could have with Google's and everything, but what kind of impact do you want to have? What is the like, in what direction is it, and who do you want to impact? How do you want to impact them? It's a good question. Um, I think when it comes down to it, I see Google being a, a brand that is, um, regardless of the NFT um, native side of it, it's just a brand that people can look at and can think is like something very cool. When you look at any of the the big brands around the world, like Off White is a great example, or or something like that. These are brands that like they do things in so many different sectors and have such a cultural impact that I believe that like the future of Web three brands is to do that kind of thing because there's such a huge following online that comes kind of naturally from being in the space and having people from all around the world. Like you can basically like push these things forward and these these Web three brands to be something that important and that kind of big in the the kind of cultural lifestyle sector and all this kind of stuff. So what would you say is the most impressive, like, uh, I mean, obviously they're not very much fully fledged at this point, but within Web3 and like NFTs, what is like one brand that you think is doing it well, basically? Um, Not Boogers. I, I don't think there's been too many at all. I mean, for like the historic presence that they have, punks have gone some way to being identifiable by some people outside of this space. But I mean, you see it a lot of the time when these like uh, viral meme videos and stuff go around. I think Easy E does some really good ones where he goes to Disneyland and asks people to name like five crypto coins and they can maybe like name Doge at best. So I don't think anyone's done it yet. We're yet to see something really break into like a mainstream arena i think it works in a small bubble inside crypto culture and tech maybe and finance that kind of stuff but nothing's really achieved it in a a grander scale i think we have small examples where some things have done some some like brands or or projects done some cool stuff but yeah I, i think we're yet to see it's still happening still evolving okay so i mean i like definitely agree on the point that you don't have the um like nothing has really gotten outside of web3 for now which is uh, like the day it happens will be i i imagine it'll be in a while but it'll be a nice moment if it does happen but so i mean do you you've had experience building brands before boogles right yeah that's okay. pretty much been like one of the biggest passions that I've had for the last like 15 years 
building brands and kind of working on the design um creative direction side for like agency freelance all of that so building brands from like startup phase all the way up to being pretty recognizable um yeah would you be able to like break down what i don't know maybe how not necessarily how to build a brand but the major points or like the important parts or on the other side of things the mistakes that people do when doing it like just the short pitch kind of thing i mean the biggest one that um it's also one of the most difficult ones to to kind of combat um it's the people that are building the brand don't know how to communicate what's happening in their head and i I think every single person who runs a brand pretty much or or any kind of company is going to struggle with that at some point if not still because it's difficult to express like you have this intrinsic knowledge of what you're doing and what you're building and how people should use it and how it should be seen but we're like fighting for attention every single moment so you're never going to be able to communicate all of that it's like how do you do all of that in a very short amount of time or like if people are just scrolling for a timeline how do you actually communicate that that's the most difficult thing i think once you achieve that then it gets a lot easier so I guess that kind of changes depending on the, like the strategies you use probably depend for each different brand that you build. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Is that, is that like part of the excitement behind it of being able to like switch and find new solutions and like the problem solving side? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's like when you like break down what graphic design is or creative direction is like, it is very much about problem solving and doing it in, a creative way that's going to get people's attention like problem solving is ultimately like the foundation of the creative industry like how are you solving the the task of communicating to x person can you like without without like wanting to dox or anything so obviously tell me if you can would you be able to like share what's the, like best i mean the most exciting brand that you've been a like part of the design process for or like the part of like one of the best things you've done in branding i guess outside of web3 um i have to be careful what i share on this one because it's pretty identifiable (laughs) um i mean one of the i'll give you the most like fun projects that i've worked on is um we did a lot of work in um obviously being london-based we did a lot of work with uh grime musicians and stuff like that so we did a lot of um like touring and kind of set design that kind of stuff um, I won't give away any names because, like I say, it's like if you looked into it, you'd be able to find who I am straight away. <laughs> but uh, yeah, working in that kind of space, obviously the music space is one that I'm very passionate about. So working with some musicians that I really like was definitely one of the highlights there. Okay, I'll, I'll not push that more because obviously, no, I don't want to go into like the identifiables and everything. But so uh, talking about music. One random question. Have you, like, I guess you know um, New Dub Money, right, from Boombox? Of course. Yeah. So have you, I, I, do you like what he's doing with Boombox? What do you think about the whole um, tokenizing music on blockchain? I, I like what he's doing, yeah. I, I think it's a very difficult one to solve. And, again, it's something that, like, I've spoken to with him, with Ems, and a bunch of other people like Daramola. The The biggest problem... I think is when it comes to music in NFTs and kind of having a Web3 version of music here is um, 
you're what you're up against is the last like 10 to 20 years of the majority of the world believing music is free or comes at the cost of 9.99 a month so that is like the biggest hurdle to overcome i think if you're asking people to pay per stream like you're going to quite a niche audience and it's the same with like vinyl records there's only a small group of people that will ever do that and especially going deeper into it and buying like the first editions of things so you're you're kind of getting into smaller subsets of people every time you do stuff like that i think it's a very big problem to solve though so there is going to be a ton of different ways to do it and i think what likely happens is you have a whole bunch of different ways that a musician can do things online where they have spotify or a streaming platform as the marketing push of getting people to listen to them and then from that group of people that listen to you, you have these super fans that want to go on like see you perform live want to collect the merchandise you put out want to buy records or, or cassette tapes or something like that and then there'll be a group that with the foundation decentralization and kind of all the the beliefs that come with that and what it is to own your your kind of copyrights and all of these things that will then find their way to buying nfts and buying music nfts all that kind of thing so i think it works and complements the like the whole wheelhouse of what being a musician is in this day and age so not necessarily much of a disruptive force to the monopoly that spotify can have on music and I guess kind of screwing over musicians with like low payment and everything. Yeah. I, I, I don't see music NFTs disrupting Spotify at the moment. I think it's something that works alongside it to put more money in a creator's pocket, which is, I mean, that is one of the major benefits of NFTs. You, you cut out the middleman in many senses, but yeah, I, I think if a musician was to just solely go web three only and ignore everything else, I think it's like an uphill battle at the moment. I don't think there's enough people buying music NFTs yet, but as something that complements everything else they're doing, I think it's perfect. Okay, fair enough. And so like, you obviously do a lot of music. How did you get into music and get into that passion? Um, I think it comes from like wanting to find stuff that I've never heard before. And same with like, design and kind of clothing everything like that it's like finding the things that someone has put an immense amount of time into creating that isn't just something you can get anywhere it's something that you have to know about or it's like this more underground version of it or like definitely buying into the whole creator's journey and that kind of stuff so yeah just definitely like digging for music and finding stuff and, and then when i got into djing and playing out with friends and stuff like that it's like this um this desire to bring something to the table that no one's heard or like because a lot of djs a lot of the time you're playing for the other djs that are there and it's kind of like this one-upmanship of who's got this who's got that um as well as putting it on a really cool event but yeah i, I think it's this um like pursuit of finding things that just give me inspiration and uh, excitement around what i'm doing quite literally getting the alpha yeah trying to mint that one of one rare record or something yeah and so like it's the way you described it it sounds more like you participate in it as 
more someone that consumes the content that is being created. But to my knowledge, you will obviously do DJing and you also have the yellow things on Spotify, right? So in your whole like content creation process, what kind of drives you and what makes the music matter to you? Um, I think it's with the playlists, it's very much like what I'm listening to in their moments and at that time and going into like different genres and kind of show showing what I can find in that genre, like what I enjoy about different genres. Cause I think that's the uh, one like big thing that I, I definitely don't like pigeonhole myself to one style of music in that sense. I think, um, if there is a genre out there, I'll probably be able to find something I enjoy of it in, in kind of most things. So it's definitely just um, like a part of wanting to showcase like really cool stuff that a lot of people overlook certain things or certain genres because um, they heard one one song. Like I remember um, playing some jazz music once and someone said to me, oh yeah, I hate jazz, I don't like it. It's like, but how can you hate all jazz when there are so many different styles inside of it? So I, I just think um, it's about finding the thing you, you like inside of a genre. So that's um, that's part of the like creation and um, content creation process, I guess, is finding and creating the things that I enjoy about a certain thing that I believe other people should know or should hear about, which then brings back this um, this whole like conversation that I've had with a bunch of people now that I'll put something out or like even the GM post with these like crazy super niche references and images and it will just start a conversation between someone that I've not, never spoken to before and like sometimes that conversation goes on for hours just about some of the most niche t- subjects that I never thought I'd be talking to someone in this space about but it's like it opens the door to so much okay yeah and so I mean, I, I checked those playlists out. I don't think I know a single one of those songs or artists because I have the most basic music tastes in the world. Um, it is what it is. Uh, and so... I love it. <laughs> it's, my, my, it's that moment. You know that Spotify, um, what is it called, recap thing at the end of the year? Yeah. It was looking at it, and I, I just had the surprise where it was like, you've listened to 133 genres. And I was like, nah, bro, I listened to pop and pop and i also listened to pop that was about all i listened to but anyways uh, so acid house yellow sounds music creation at this point like hmm. why did you like kind of why music and not something else because i think getting like getting the alpha getting into those things those niche things probably exists in other art forms right so why was it music that appealed to you in the first place um i think to be fair i'm very much like as passionate for music as i am for design and fashion and product so i i think it's like a whole world of these things but i'm just on equal levels of nerdiness <laughs> finding things because like for me it all comes to like one one kind of like um i guess it's like building and curating your life around these things like the way that we express ourselves is through what we wear who we associate ourselves with the the kind of places we go and the things we listen to so 
I don't think it stops at music personally. Maybe that's just the one that um, I'm most expressing at the moment, but it like it fully just goes into like architecture, design work, um, things that you can wear and own. Like, yeah, it is the whole lot. I think it's just the, the expression that comes of all of them things that kind of, um, they each have their own artistry to them. And I find there's a lot of crossover between them as well. Yeah, very much an ensemble, right? Yeah. So, I mean, does this play into kind of you finding an identity in the sense that, like, a lot of these things form around what you enjoy and how maybe you want, you perceive yourself slash want other people to perceive you? Is that kind of part of the the entire appeal? I mean, I think over the years of um, of just kind of life, I've definitely stopped caring about how people perceive me and um, have like little interest in the opinions of people I don't know and stuff like that. I think there is um, a large part of it when you get into like any kind anything like this, people do it for reasons other than for themselves. But I think I just find so much enjoyment in, um, in finding things that I enjoy. It's, um, it's like creating the life around you and like the space around you and what inspires you. Like, Daryl Mola is someone that I always reference for this. Like he has his music studio and he has all these cause dolls around him. Like that's the stuff that inspires him and like makes him happy and the things that he wants to collect and and, like the stuff he associates with. I I think it comes down to that. It's like building what around you keeps you the most like excited and ambitious and like these kind of the creators behind them and the people behind them are people that are doing the things you want to do with. So when you're, like when you have these things and, and you kind of like can see them and like it's just like keeps you going and inspires you. So I think that's a lot of it for me. It's um yeah. Finding things I enjoy and kind of doing them until I die. What's the what do you think is the first time that you found something that you really enjoyed and kind of made you realize that that's what really mattered to you? Or was it kind of a, like a, a slow realization? Um I don't know. That's a very good question. I don't think I remember like a specific thing. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure on that one. Then in that case, what is one that like strikes you as something that really mattered to you? Or maybe, I don't know if it's your favorite one or the most impactful one. So I, I think like one big part of like an identifiable point in my journey um, into music and design and that kind of stuff and that whole um thinking was um i remember walking into a hmv music shop back when they were open and justice these two french electronic producers their album was out in the store and on it was just a black case with a gold um cross on the front of it and it just like really struck me and was like pretty impactful at the time and i'd never heard of them or listened to electronic music before um anything like that so i just picked it up i was like Hey, this is cool. Went and bought it, took it home, and was just like completely fucking blown away by what I was listening to. And then just went like on this deep dive into electronic music and electro French producers and all this kind of stuff. And I just found this world that was like really impressive. And it was something that I'd never once come across or, or had any interest in or anything like that. Like before I was, I found that I was like listening to rock and punk music, that kind of stuff. So I guess that was probably one of the 
or if not the moment that stands out that showed me how much there is to know and how many things there are going on in the world that you have no idea about. And um, yeah, I've just been kind of looking for that moment ever since and just trying to find things that do the same kind of thing and just blow my whole world open to something I've never known about and can get like completely immersed in. I feel like this has a lot of parallels to people that travel and that find new cultures because I kind of, I've had that experience, right? So I kind of like, I feel like I can draw parallels to the finding something completely new and being able to discover it, but I'd never like connected it to just, well, all of the artists, like this world of like music and art and all of these things. So I don't know. I'd, yeah. I'd never really seen it that way. Travel is a very good one for it as well. I found that quite a lot going to a new place and like just being part of this culture. I definitely enjoy going to places and I did it. Um, I did it in Amsterdam when I was quite young and, and went over there for like two months. And I was like, yeah, I love it over here. Like this is the kind of culture I enjoy. Like, and you just find different things. And I think it teaches you a lot about yourself as well. Just taking yourself out of them comfort zones. But yeah, I, I definitely relate all of that to kind of like the artistic process, fashion, music, design all these things like you find one one thing that inspires you and you kind of pull this thread and all of a sudden you've learned so much about like these impressive people there's um there's this designer um the guy behind visvim hinoki nakamura i think his name is maybe I, i'm mixing it up with someone else but um when i learned about like what they do and how they make their clothes and they're still using like beetles blood to dye things and using these like rare grasses to make dyes from and, and the kind of process behind it. It's just stuff that you, you're not even aware of or, or kind of think it's something of the past and kind of like one of these old processes that's forgotten about. But there's, um, there's a lot of people out there that are still making things in this traditional way. And the same with um, like Action Bronson's another person that I, I fucking love that guy, like so on the money with like everything he does and just lives this life that is um, all about that kind of stuff. Like he'll go traveling around the world, touring, doing shows, but also just going to like some of the best restaurants and, and going to like natural wine vineyards and things like that. And it's, again, it's, I think another person in this pursuit of like the best of something, because there's always someone out there that's going to be like the artisan version of X, Y, Z. And um, then people are normally like the most insane, mind blowing people out there. And if you're never exposed to that new channel, like just miss the entire thing and just settle for like the basic version of it. I think there's like so much that's missed out. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, that's kind of beautiful. How do you, how do you manage to find these things? Like if you, if someone came to you and was like, Hey, like, I really like that idea. How do I, how can I myself pursue finding the best of the best and, or even finding the fields where I want to like look into that, like, is it random? Are you actively looking for it? How does that work? I think it's a bit of both. Like, it can be very random, and you can just like stumble across things, or you can go out looking for it. Like, the internet has been a complete blessing for that. That there are people now who go around the world and document all this and make video series on it or write books about it. And we have like more access to information and the people in these remote areas doing things or whatever kind of um, industry it is, there's so much information to find about it. Um, 
but again, this is it comes back to Acid House and the people that I invited to that group early on are people that I know are doing pretty much exactly the same thing in other areas that they are very much like a specialist in or, or kind of more paying attention to. Like um, Jataro and Hats and these kind of people, I know that they're doing similar things to what I'm doing, but probably looking at completely different areas or looking at different people and processes. So when you have all them people together and you're like sharing links around, like it's just kind of doing it all at, at warp speed because there's now like 30 more people that are doing the same thing and trying to find different inspirations and learning about techniques that the world has forgotten about. And yeah, definitely um, a mixture of the whole lot. But for me personally, I, I like surrounding myself with the people that are also doing that kind of stuff. I mean, I, w- I was going to ask who do you think is like the most unique person or not necessarily the person, but the person who's the mus- most unique thing. But I don't want to say that. I don't want to ask it that way because I feel like it would be like diminishing for the people that do the other work, which is probably equally unique, just like subjectively different, if that makes sense. But I guess the question would mostly be who is someone that's really struck you as just like you never expected it in that whole world of like the artisan kind of thing, something you just didn't think that was even a thing. Um, that's a very good question. And one that I'm probably just going to have to pass on because um, like, it's very difficult to think of someone that comes to mind <laughs> as an example right now. That's fair enough. Um, so the way you like described it, like this whole pursuit was building a world around you of the things that you enjoy. And, right now it's mostly finding those things right and kind of adding it to your collection in a sense have you is there any appeal to you of being the one that creates those things and having that focus be around your creation or are you happy to just well to just are you happy to create it create this curation and create this collection of things that you truly enjoy I mean, I am doing it at the moment. I guess with Acid House and with Google, they are the things that I'm doing. I'm creating the things that I want to create that I believe are on par with the people that I look up to that are also creating things around me. So I think it's an ongoing like relationship of being exposed to, to these things and learning about things and then incorporating that into what I do and kind of like taking note and reference from everything that I'm enjoying and how that feeds back into my creative process and, and kind of the projects that I'm working on. I think that's always how it's been to be honest. Like I remember starting a, a Tumblr blog when I was like 17 and just like bringing in all these JPEGs and like back to the, the first primitive version of NFTs, I guess, right click saving pictures from my blog. Um, but it like, it was all part of building this library around me that forever I can like picture certain images in my head and, they will always be there. And I've like, once I've seen them, it's like, cool, that's now a reference point that when I'm doing something in that kind of field, these are the kind of things that I think of, because that's like the example, the the coolest version of it that I've seen. So how do I do something similar and remix it and twist it around? Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I, that makes like a lot of sense Um, for the whole, because you have the create creation, you have the curation, is there, do you ever kind of see, um, in French, you call it a fil directeur, like a directing line, uh, a guiding thread between all of these things that, I don't know, maybe triggers reflection on, on like 
where you're at right now or something like that? Do you ever kind of see something that connects it all together beyond, oh, it's the things that I enjoy? If that, I don't know if I'm getting the point across. I'm not too sure, actually. I, I think I get what you mean. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I've not really reflected on it that deeply. Just kind of like uh, just keep moving forward and doing these things and, and not really dwell on anything too much. Oh, yeah, fair enough. And so I guess the, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess the curation part is mostly for you to build something that you enjoy. And the creation part is both that, but also for you to be able to participate in giving that giving back in a sense and providing that value of something that you truly love to more people right yeah yeah i'd say that's a fairly good uh, summary of it yeah okay and so you mentioned that you had like these shared values with uh, with the george with veets with like the people you work with what do you think are like the ones that matter most or the ones that are like a cornerstone to what you work on and to what you want to build I think one of the most important parts of all of it is um, how can we do something that is very fun for everyone involved, from the people that are organizing it to the people that come up with the ideas to the people that are just something fun and enjoyable that people are to be associated with and kind of work within and around. Okay. Um like I'm struggling right now because I don't want to ask questions where like I'm going to ask, so what are Google actually doing? Because I know I'm not going to get an answer from you or George would probably murder you in the background. Um, so I guess because the main question here is the Googles are, there's 100 NFTs, right? And I guess some of those don't even, there are probably people that hold multiple and then there are people that aren't part of it because of the committee. I mean, how do you expand that fun and that creative process? Is that, well, if it's even one of your plans, right? How do you make it go beyond you guys? And I, I mean, how do you balance the 100 people that have this privilege and that are a closer part of it, but at the same time expanding it and bringing it to the masses? That has been the question of the past 18 months. How do you do that in a meaningful way without just adding more NFTs? Because that's, I think, the one thing that everyone reverts to. We could just make more NFTs. I think it works in some sense with some of the larger collections, but a small amount of them succeed at it. When you look at a boutique collection, and specifically at Google, which is 100, and if we were just to add more, it would change the value proposition. So that is something we've been kind of playing with and working out and not rushing at all. But um, I think we are fairly confident we've answered that question and we can do something in a very meaningful way now that does exactly what we want it to and allows a lot more people to participate and um, and kind of become part of this brand and be able to represent it and kind of um, just live in this kind of Google world. Whereas before, it, like you say, is gated to the hundred possible um, people that are in there. Um, but I think we've got maybe 80-ish holders. So there are people with multiple. So yeah, it's um, it's been a very long journey to get to the answer we're at. 
but I'm glad we didn't rush anything out because there were some ideas that in hindsight wouldn't have worked or were quite, um, there were things you couldn't really go back on once you've done them. So yeah, as I say, we're, we're now in a place where I think we can answer that successfully and, and we'll be showing that over then kind of the rest of this year. When does the, when does the rollout start? Um, it's in the process at the moment. So you should start to see things over the next. Um, actually, I'm not going to put a date on it, just because <laughs> every time in crypto, when there's dates on anything, they're always Each missed. Time. So, yeah, th- this year stuff's going to be happening, and you'll um, you'll kind of see what the what the thinking is behind it. Okay, I mean, I'm super curious to see what it is because, like, as you mentioned, a lot of people would like go down to the let's get extra NFTs, and I mean, I hope I'm not going to say something stupid that would be against what your plans are, but I feel like. If if done badly, right, adding extra NFTs to Boogles would kind of not kind of tarnish the brand in the sense that it's really always been the 100. It's like if one collection on Solana represents the 100 one to ones, it's always going to be Boogles. So adding to it, plus you would get fudded to absolute hell. By <laughs> yeah, exactly. Holy shit, that would <laughs> the be the timeline would horrendous. not enjoy a 10k Boogle collection right now. Everyone would be like, oh my god, they're using Yes's exit liquidity again. Yep. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been um it's been a difficult one to answer. And it's one that George and myself has been speaking for since like before the final auction had happened. It's um it's always been a conversation point. It's like, what does happen next? Like, how does this grow? Because I mean, we were probably the first collection on any chain to do a, a one of one. 100 characters so like there was a a kind of new path set from that point or at least um like the perceivable point that we didn't know of anyone else doing it so how do you grow from there and what is the next step i mean a lot of people try and answer it and there are a lot of examples out there now of uh, smaller collections that have expanded and have done different things but um yeah I, i think google has more of a responsibility and there is um a certain like a certain quality to the brand that shouldn't be the easiest answer it should be something that when it started it was a a bit of a game changer and a kind of zig in the zag where you have everyone doing like 5k 10k collections like and we just went smaller so there is now like this deservingness that it should be something as important and as kind of leading as it once was when there was just uh, the hundred yeah, that's uh, that sounds very bullish, whether it will be or not, TBD. But it sounds awesome. <laughs> I appreciate. <laughs> it. I mean, obviously, it's the way you say it, right? Because Google's was huge, and it still is. And if you're going to continue on that trend on something that other people have already done, and you manage to pull it off, it would obviously be massive. Um, when did like? Because you mentioned the final auction, and I'm already speaking about it before. Was the final action auction like? Was there any a feeling of nostalgia or something that this part of the project was really going to end? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty crazy. I remember there was a lot of noise on the timeline, and it was quite a big event. And we had the the portal space and everything. It was, yeah, it was really cool. It was a nice way to end out what had uh, what had gone on over the last year. Um, definitely um, some nostalgia to it for sure it was just um, it was like a good point to end on and something I felt quite proud of 
that we had built this thing and maintained it and kind of developed it over time and just rounding up such an incredible group of people as well that um yeah it was it was wild to see it and but it was also an opportunity where now it's like cool we, we can focus on something really fun now yeah so post auctions now you don't have that influx of one new member every couple like maybe weeks or something um at this point in time, how have you managed to, I guess, how has that community kind of evolved? Are you guys like often talking to each other? How do you manage to get people like in and out? Do you try to like make it be like a really sticky collection? And for the people as like within that community, there are people like I think Bunjil, who to me was like very much a quintessential Boogle or, or Gaius as well. Once they leave the community, how much of them, how... Are they still part of it in a sense? How does that work? There's certain people that um obviously stay in contact with a lot of a lot of the Boogles. Um but yeah, it's it's um I mean, every time we've had someone leave, we've had someone equally as great join, which has been really cool to see. So it's never like a sad moment and like we're losing people or anything like that, because the the people that kind of see Boogle for what it is and want to join and, and have that interest to be part of it. Like that, it just kind of so happens that a lot of them are, are very aligned in the, the kind of thing that they want and how our community kind of operates in this small nature. I mean, we've been kind of blessed with the amount of people that we have in there and, and that are just of such like a caliber and have great ideas and are doing really cool things in the space. And I think it just appeals to someone who doesn't have like all time, all the day to sit in Discord and kind of talk about intraday events. It's more long-term thinking it's more kind of i guess like grown up is uh, kind of like the easiest way to describe it whereas um some of the other communities you go to is like an obviously like more kind of reckless tone and stuff like that but um yeah it's it's been a cool one to build and a cool one to see um different people come and go and how that changes communities over time with such a, a small group of people but all in all i think we've managed to bring in like some of the best minds in the space to to kind of call it home i think a lot of people do see the discord as that and the the community as that is one that um it kind of is like the constant yeah i get i get that i mean kind of a place to call home right the place they come back to yeah and you've got like a ton of holders that they have been here since some of the first auctions and the their buy price was maybe like sub 10 sub 20 soul and we're at prices of three and a half thousand, three thousand Solana, and they're saying no, we don't want to sell. Uh, we're staying here. Like this is where we we kind of find enjoyment and want to spend time. Which like that is like that's absolutely massive. The fact that someone wants to be in the community and is that committed that they will hold that asset. Like I think that speaks volumes to what happens in there and kind of like how of much of a different space it is. And kind of how important it is for a lot of the people that we have in there. And I mean, myself and George as well, there's like huge value in what we're doing and kind of having connections to these people and like the kind of thinking and the kind of mindsets that are there. I want to play like somewhat of the devil's advocate here and say that a lot of people see Boogles as a bunch of really rich people because you can afford to have the 3000 Solana NFT without selling it when you've bought it for 10 Solana, right? So what is, do you think there's any part of reality in that or 
and does that play into people staying or is it completely stupid speculation i mean yeah naturally you um you have the money to turn down an offer of 3000 soul like you you generally have some money but it's the same for the however many thousand people hold punks and bored apes and and all these other collections like it is the very nature of the space they're in and i think in solana it looks like that and you can see why and it is such a higher price than many of the other projects here but this is the same with d gods and people that hold, hold like five or ten of them i think it applies on all levels but it's just like how you frame it because there are so many projects out there and people have hundreds of them or, or like like i said the the apes and the punks are a great example like their flaws are huge and you have thousands of people holding them so yes there are going to be rich people in there yes there are going to be rich people in every project it's just how it is but i think maybe it just comes down to the visibility that Googles have in the kind of solana ecosystem and the number of them that are in that so yeah i, I guess it applies everywhere yeah, are you ever worried that Boogles grow and that the tight-knit community that you have kind of dissolves as maybe like bigger players with more money or more incentive just buy into it as a means of investment and not as a means of participating in that group? Yeah, is a, that's a very good question. And I think it's something... We have some members that don't participate in the kind of day to day, and they're, they're kind of like they come to an event once a year or something like that, or like have l less input because they have things IRL that are more kind of like important to spend time doing or stuff like that. But um, I think that's all part of it. You, you kind of need people on every level. We have some people that are active every single day. We have people that have joined the council to to volunteer their time and work on this as well with us. We have people that are very passive holders, very active holders, people that talk once a day uh, or once a week or once a month. I think that's kind of naturally the makeup that you want in a project. Um, if obviously you have too many people that aren't saying anything, then there's only maybe like 10 of you, then yeah, I, I see that it becomes more of a problem. But fortunately, we've uh, we've got a very good mix. Yeah, fair enough. And so with, within this group, I mean, I feel... Because even if you're 100 people, 100 people is still like a fairly large amount and you probably don't all share the same interests. So does the does the community kind of, in a sense, fractionalize in between different like tighter groups of people who have the same interests and then you come together obviously for like the Google like community call or something? Yeah, I think um, everyone in the kind of Web3 space has different areas that they want to focus on more. Some people are here for NFTs, some people are here for coins, some people want to farm, uh, farm all kind of airdrops and stuff like that. So there is a lot of different things you can spend your time doing, even in a small group like this. Um, you have some people that they just want access to the network and the connections and that kind of stuff and don't really participate in coins or NFTs and maybe just long-term holders and believers of, uh, of decentralization, Web3 and that, this kind of stuff. Yeah, so... Where do you, like, to you personally, and, at, like, at this point in time, not necessarily when you joined, what is the, like, why would someone want to join Boogles at this point in time? I think it's very dependent on the person, obviously, but um, I think the important thing that I personally get from it is I feel like I'm the dumbest person in the room all the time because there are so many people in there that are, 
like very kind of far on in professional lives and have like exposure to things that I don't even understand. And it's just a, a very good mixture of people and quite a well-rounded group that have experience that kind of goes beyond what you'd expect from the average NFT user or the average kind of crypto investor. I think there is, um, there's like a very good conversation and it's somewhere you can learn a lot as well as, I mean, I'm very biased on this, but like the coolest brand in NFTs. It's quite a cool brand to be fair. It's, it's a, a respectable attempt at a brand. Uh, I guess, I guess. That's, that's all right. It's all right. So what's the most surprising conversation or most interesting thing you've learned in Google's and I'll, I'll give you the fact that that's probably like a hard question because there's got to be so many of them, but just one that stands out, like off the top of your head. It is a pretty easy question because um, I'll, I'll get striked and uh, I'll have to be banned for a week if I tell you what happens in there. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, like try to find a roundabout way to ask that question. But... <laughs> yeah. Almost <laughs> caught me off guard. Ah, damn. Um, okay. So... Yeah, I mean, Boogles has got to be such a, like... Wait, when did you... How early did you join? Uh, I believe it was November 21. Okay, so at that point, how many actions had gone through? Like, um, 40 or something? I think less than 40. Because the first time I was able to buy one was around 40. I think number 40, in fact. We had the... um. Like the Olaplex auctions were just painstakingly hard to actually place a bid on. So, um, I mean, I was trying since Google number two, and it took up until 40 for me to actually be able to get a bid in and win on Olaplex. It was that bad. There are many, many auctions, if Olaplex is still out, um, where my name is on every single one <laughs> that was auctioned that week trying to win. But um, yeah, didn't quite work uh, out. That must have been slightly painful because you probably would see the price go up each time as well, right? Like, oh shit, yeah. it's yeah. getting worse. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first one. Maybe like I think, I think the first auction was ten boogles that went up, maybe five or ten. Um, all of them went for maybe like max seven sol, and then try and bid the next week. And Big Brain comes in and drops fifteen on all of them that were available. I'm like, damn, that's a lot of money, man. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> At the time, soul was pumping. My bags weren't quite as uh, quite as healthy. And, um, I mean, it's the first time you've seen a project like this. Like, you didn't know what to value it at. But obviously, um, someone like Big Brain had the the vision or the um, the kind of yeah the foresight to to believe it could be something. So, yeah, it, it takes a while, especially of Olaplex. I mean, but yeah, like you say, the price is just going up and up. And like, yeah, I have to win one of these things at some point. So, just start throwing like huge bids in that you never thought you'd be putting down. Yeah, because at the time, Seven Soul was like, I mean, if it was around the 200 mark, that was still 1.4k. You look at it now, it's like, oh, it's 140 bucks. It's quite a bit for a JPEG, but you know, yeah, I've seen worse. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, and Big Brain, to be fair, Big Brain might have just been spreading his bets because <laughs> God knows he has yeah, like, definitely. bits everywhere. And so. You're, you do participate like outside of music in like the whole realm of art. You participate like a decent amount in more like I'm going to use the word art again, but like not painting, but graphical art. Does that make sense? Is that a word? Um, 
because I think you have that collection as well that's linked on your Twitter or on your website. I'm not sure. So I've um I've like personally put out uh, some photography work, um, and then did like some collabs with AWAG and BB. But I mean, my my kind of role, I guess, in um, the NFT space mainly is around like buying art. I've enjoyed that a lot more than anything else because it's something that I have always enjoyed. And now there's the ability to own pieces of art, but not have to like store them or have a ginormous house or a gallery IRL to display all this stuff. It's, um, it, I mean, it comes back to the Tumblr blog of wanting to collect all these images and curate this gallery and, and have this thing there that kind of like is a glimpse into the things that I, I think look good and like, the art that I enjoy and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. And collecting NFT art was, or digital art, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's something that like instantly struck record with me and through that meeting people like George, cause we were collecting a lot of the time in the early days. Um, and then going on to meet Toshi, Boo, all these other great people and great artists. Um, I think that's been another huge enjoyment of this space. Was it, like, was it always based on just you wanting to collect things that look nice, or was there ever an element of investment within it? I think primarily it was collecting things that looked nice. Um, at the time when I was first buying art on Solana, there wasn't really secondary sales at all. It just didn't happen. There wasn't a, a marketplace for it. It was just kind of like you're buying what you enjoyed or what you liked. Um, I mean, in the back of my head, I guess the whole premise of NFTs to date has been around making money and secondary sales and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I probably knew it would be worth something, but I mean, I was definitely just buying and, and still to this day, I, I just buy things that I like regardless of like what I think they'll sell for in the future and just kind of wanting to support the, the whole artist ecosystem and, and grow this cultural layer at the same time, because I think that is one of the primary use cases or, or best use cases for NFTs that we have still is the art and the provenance and all of that. Okay. I mean, this is a question I, th I imagine you've already been asked, but if you had to explain it to a Web2 artist who's never used Web3, he might have even heard a decent amount of people saying that NFTs are a scam, NFTs are used for X or Y or copying other artists, all these things. How do you kind of explain and can you explain to people why as an artist NFTs are valuable to them and why as collectors NFTs are valuable to you? I've had this problem and I still continue to have this problem. Um, Explaining why an, an artist should use NFTs is still as difficult today as it ever has been. Um, there's just such a, a kind of mixed feeling around it. And some people are very receptive to it and, and enjoy some of the ideas around why it's important. Obviously, you have like majority of media that covers NFTs is going to be ludicrous sales of board apes that get into mainstream media. Um, scams, hacks, all that kind of stuff, plagiarism. So most people outside of our space, they're hearing about the like the negatives or the extremes at all times. There isn't ever an education around how the ministry or the URS have brought together a hundred plus artists that have this place where they can speak to other people all the time and 
they can share ideas and share art and different things like that which if you are just an artist that lives wherever in the world you have a, a local area or, or kind of a small network of people you can do that with so i think that's one of the things that's, that's missed and just not documented or anything is how important the entire space is for growing and for learning and meeting people that can benefit you and help you progress in your career either through the art you're creating or kind of how you sell it and the whole business side to it when you look at someone like sleeper as an example he's someone that's come into the space as a solana native artist and through the pure force of this ecosystem sold work in one of the top auction houses in the world if he was trying to do that outside of web3 and nfts it just wouldn't have happened ever because there's so much that comes before that and there's years of collectors buying your work and there's an art education and there's curation from galleries and all these kind of things so that's what i think is um something to lead on when talking to artists outside of the space and, and kind of what's powerful about it and then obviously you have the the kind of direct consumer model of selling and being able to talk to your collectors and people that potentially want to buy your work and that kind of stuff but yeah i, I think most importantly for me at least is how you have this network of people around you that are all doing the same thing around the world with different connections, different histories, different backgrounds. And that is like the richness that comes with it. So, I mean, one of the things that I like, the way I understand it is that piercing through like the, the kind of the noise in as a traditional artist is a lot more complicated because you don't have those connections. Right. But wouldn't it happen like as Web3 evolves, isn't it kind of doomed to the same fate of having more and more artists using it and then the top like connections get less and less accessible and it kind of just returns to being the same? I don't know. I think there's just like an infinite amount of growth still that can happen in the space. And as the, um, the whole kind of Web3 NFT space progresses, there's new things that are built inside that that then become some of the important establishments that previously have been like web two traditional art. So I think probably no, I, I think we just keep building new things as they come and the connections get stronger and new people become like the tastemakers and new people become curators and run galleries and kind of expand this network out and interest more people in what's happening here. And so as someone who would be new to it, how would they how do they manage to like access those connections and make it into that circle i think it's finding things like the ors and speaking to art collectors and other artists and like that is one really cool thing that we've seen here it's like the power of artist communities and and DAOs and all these things like they may not be perfect and they may not work in the way you'd want them to or still have their problems but it's large groups of people that generally want good things for this space all getting together in one place. And I think you can find that in, in kind of any area or any interest you have here. You have groups of people that want to form around certain things. And luckily we have a huge artist community on across all chains that want to do that kind of thing. So I think if you're a brand new artist coming to the space, is is speaking to the people that are here. Everyone's very receptive and we've all been at stage one and, 
kind of minting our first NFT or, or collecting our first NFT, like everyone has been on that same journey together. So you're not going to get people kind of like shoo you away or tell you like, oh, I'm too busy to speak to you because it's so new and so fresh that I, I would hope that no one has that attitude towards someone that's brand new to it. Okay, fair enough, yeah. I mean, it has to be like fairly daunting because it's very much a different world, right? Because you have to be on Twitter. You have to, you probably have to be on Discord. It's minting all the NFTs. So having that like helpful community is that's what you don't have in Web2. So like, it yeah. comes down to the community, right? I mean, you do, you have it still, but um, I think it's it's more localized, or it is um, it's not as easy to move around and to kind of get into them places. If you're you kind of just like focusing on like IRL events and stuff like that, and going to galleries or, or kind of exhibitions or shows and things, I think you have like the social constructs of like groups forming and, and kind of people that know each other and have for a long time and not everyone finds it easy just to walk up to a group of people and say like, Oh, Hey, I'm this artist. I'm doing this thing. Whereas on Twitter spaces, you can do it 10 times in 10 different rooms in an hour. So the, the way you're connecting with people happens so much quicker and you're, you're kind of finding them groups a lot faster. Whereas if you're doing that outside of any kind of internet driven space, it's going to take you a long time to, to do the same thing that you can do in, in a day. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, I I don't like I don't like know what the struggle is, obviously, but it's it's the it's the impression I've had that like you have you have communities, and it's true that it goes beyond uh beyond art. Although art has like made a very solid like splash within NFTs. I remember when people like when I think it was mostly you and George started talking about collecting art more and more, and I was like, oh shit, this might actually be a thing. And I thought it was going to be like a meta or something, and it's just still here and strong, and it's going that much bigger. And uh, and I completely missed out on it. But <laughs> <laughs> to the upset of many people, I remember when we first started buying art, and there was um, there was a handful of people that would call us like scammers and, and trying to pump our bags and, and trying to con everyone into buying art on the chain and all this kind of shit. It was wild to see that um, we were just kind of like buying the things that we enjoyed from artists that have put their work on the blockchain and um yeah somehow we, we were trying to dupe everyone for it pretty funny to see um how far it's grown and how impactful it's become and kind of how much of a bustling ecosystem we've got now that purely is around art i mean you have almost like this two groups or two sides to web3 and nfts where you have people that are just doing like the the mint and jpegs generative projects all that kind of stuff flipping stuff here and there and then you have this other side to it where we've now seen a lot of like cross-pollination between the two communities. And I think you have these standout moments like John Lay doing his edition piece and joining um, the kind of D-Gods art team. Like that was very, very pivotal to bringing a lot of people over in the same way of DJ and Poet. You've got great examples of this where the two merge and then you bring people across on both sides and it just kind of grows everything together. Yeah, I was going to mention that now you really have that when you have, because it's such a big thing now to have a, a 10,000 piece collection and then you have 20 one-to-ones and everyone wants the John Lee piece or the Dejan Poet piece or the Hyblinks piece or whoever artist they managed to get on board. It's become so huge. And I don't know if people, I don't think people value it for the art per se yet, but 
it's still so massive and it drives a lot of speculation, which is a lot of fun. Oh yeah, definitely. People go crazy for them ones. I mean, personally, I, I don't enjoy it and I'm, I don't think there's longevity in a project that's doing that because I mean, we've seen it with a handful of projects now that the entire marketing effort is based on the hype for these 20 characters drawn by an artist and their reputations and their kind of um, talent is being used to basically just sell out a 10K collection, which is what it is. It's going to happen regardless. Um, artists are getting paid for it, so that's what I'm happy about. But um, yeah, I, I'm not too fond of it. Keep it at that. Yeah, there was the whole situation with Bonks, which was not ideal, but hey. Yeah, I mean, when you've got yeah. the 15,500 people that realize they haven't got a one-on-one and dump it instantly, it's not good for anyone. Yeah, and then I've that situation was a bit annoying. They were kind of clear that there was nothing going to happen that much with it, and yet people pumped it and dumped it as well. But hey. Um, then there's the whole, I don't know what you think about this, because I feel like it's slightly separate. It's what Clanosaurs have been doing with their like spray cans. Are you Have you like seen what's happening there or not? I've seen the, the cards, but I haven't looked into like what they do or, or kind of um, how they how they kind of interact with the rest of the project. But um, okay. I mean, I, I just love what the cleaners are doing. They're, um, they're really definitely cool. like moving the needle and, and raising the bar on a lot of things. And you see that now with a bunch of projects that do similar kind of things with um, the cards at events and stuff. But, yeah. yeah. In general, I think they're one to look at as a, a great example of what an NFT brand can do and how they can do kind of um, these different collections and different things that interact with that whole world. Like the world building that they have and the ideas behind it, I think is just really impressive. And it shows the professionalism of the guys involved in it. Yeah, I think what I like, what, like what I, one of the things that I like most is the fact that you have this like collection of people that are super talented, and I think there are probably quite a few teams that have had successful pasts in Web two or have driven really important things. But these guys just understand how to work in Solana insanely well. Yeah, I agree with that. They're, like it's they're utilizing the tools and the community and and putting it all together in a very intelligent way but it's it's pretty cool but so what i wanted to tell you about the cards is so essentially right you go to an event you get a card and typically you can like it's an nfc tag that you scan with your phone and you get an, an nft there's been like the pizzas the croissants all these things that will end up as gear that you can apply to your dinosaur right like in a video game but then you have these special cards that have been made by artists. So most recently it was the spray cans and you had people like, I think there was Scum, there was Late Duke, there was John Lee, um, Highblinks as well, I think. You have like these these things where like Ricardo Cavolo, anyways, one-to-one artists that make a piece and that artwork can then be redeemed as a one-to-one dinosaur in a, like an ancient in the whole space so it's different than the oh during the mint you have like a one in ten thousand chance of hitting the one-to-one right yeah i think that's cool i like that yeah i mean 
Trainers for the win. They've been a lot of fun. Um, how up to date do you stay with the whole NFT space now? I'm in fairly up to date. I, I spend like most of my day just scrolling through Twitter and Discord, and <laughs> you stay pretty up to date with a lot of shit that's going on. Even if some of it's like fairly cryptic shit posts, you um you get the gist of what's happening. But um, yeah, I for a while I didn't have any interest or, or like didn't want to keep up with it at all in a lot of the mints that were going on. I just didn't think there was anything that impressive or exciting. I think Klanos was probably like one of the pivotal moments that um, that, that changed for a while. Um, and since then, we've seen a bunch of cool projects come out. Like The Bastards is another one that I'll mention. Just because their animation and the effort they put into that was like leagues above what anyone's done in animation before. Obviously, Klanos is probably a, a big inspiration for that and the quality that they're putting out. But um, yeah, I think where it gets interesting is some of the um, some of the projects that are, are willing to put more into the creative output and actually make something that can be on par with what's seen outside of this space. Because the majority of projects that are coming out being gambling projects definitely doesn't help for bringing people into the space. I think it's the stuff that connects more with what people enjoy and what they're used to and like animation and animated video shorts that kind of stuff like it's a great one same with dinosaur ip <laughs> how can you not love a little cute dinosaur ip and the things they're doing there but yeah i tend to stay a little more up to date um now than i was um still like not something that i'm i'm checking every day or trying to be part of every single mint i'll mint the things that i think look good and are enjoyable and have like a good attention to, de- uh, to detail but um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely not out here trying to flip stuff in uh, in 24 hours and trying to maximize the um the amount of stuff I can mint. I think it's um something that I'm just not built for. So happy to to allow that to happen, but not kind of not willing to take part in it because I just suck at the NFT trading element. Long term investor. Fair enough. Uh, it's a valid strategy. Um. I mean, there's that irony of being in crypto, which is, well, as Droids would put it, like this like online casino, and then gambling on a gambling project. It's just too many layers in, man. They're going too far with it. Exactly, but, exactly. But I mean, I, the Bastards art, I was not that like partial to it. Obviously, completely object- subjective. Um I still think what I won't get over is that Ugi minted at the same time. And like I, I've said it, I'll say it again, their art is garbage, um, which is uh, once again completely subjective. But it's that thing where you like, I don't think at this point the art matters that much for most people, right? Yeah. I think if I was to say the art is garbage, I'd have um, a bunch of people reply and say that typical Boogle, Boogle pump and FUD. Yeah, <laughs> but no, um, it's it's like when I saw that, it's just not a PFP I would ever wear. And I think there's a lot of people that probably agree with that. It's not the PFP you're going to want to represent you. Like generally, the things that do well are um, cute pixelated monkeys, stuff like that. Yeah, there's that element that I've realized. It's like you can have really beautiful art, but if it's just not something that can work as a PFP, it just won't come through at all. Yeah, you definitely. Like, the more detail in it, the harder it is, realistically. Like when it is very simple and, and 
I mean, especially with the pixel projects, when it's very low pixel count, it's easy to to see and it's very clear. As soon as you start adding a lot of pixels in, it gets quite detailed and um, you get kind of get lost on the timeline. Like the pictures are fairly small. So yeah, you definitely have to factor that in. Yeah, and then the other thing that I've kind of like come to realize, and I'm not sure if I'm completely right on this, but I think if you make something that's very humanoid or that has fairly specific characteristics, you'll people are actually gonna to be to be able to like have this as a profile picture, people are gonna need to find someone that they really like feel connected to. Whereas I can literally find any JPEG of a monkey and I can kind of apply my own personality onto it when it's not too, when it doesn't already have all that like meaning behind it with what's been like added on top of it as layers. Yeah, I think um, when you have something very human-like, people naturally try and find the one that looks like them, which you can't always do. So like you say, it's very easy to do that and to build a, a personality or, or have that kind of um, that personal brand built around something very harmless looking like uh, these little monkeys. I'm just looking at Toshi's one now, the smiley monkey with the devil horns. Like, that is definitely him. Uh, the ping background and everything. <laughs> I'm, I think I have this revolutionary idea. It's that obviously am I, like the name in crypto is Pedro. Um I have a lily with a poncho and an SMB with a poncho. I want to pull up to breakpoint in a poncho. You should do it. I mean, um, maybe cultural appropriation, but also dressing up as your character. I also might be Mexican for all you know. You could. I, I wouldn't even know. That's why I said maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that, yeah, that's the other thing. Once you have like this character you identify with and now you have that poncho, because NFTs generally, like a lot of the collections have similar attributes, but now you can collect a poncho across every single one of them. Yes, 100%. And that's like each time I'll like buy a collection, I'll actively look for like, do they have a poncho? And um, it's nice to see the ones that do. And that's how they get you because you're not ever going to want to sell a poncho because that is your identity now. <laughs> So you're just gonna bag hold these uh, these poncho army of different characters forever. No idea how that happened. My apologies. Um, no here. worries. <laughs> just that was a bit weird. I have no idea. The, the screen just goes black, and we're like, "Oh shit!" Hopefully, this has not ended. Um, but yeah, PFPs. Boogles are iconic and they're very recognizable. What I like, what I like, what I was surprised by with Boogles is that you still somehow managed to make them distinguishable, one from another, which is really cool. Yeah, I think they um because it's like this mostly black hooded figure in the middle of the screen. It's like it fakes it takes up a fair amount of the the circle, and it's very recognizable across like any of the backgrounds and stuff like that. Like, you just know instantly it's a Google, which, I mean, yeah, hats off to, to Swaggy. He did a, an amazing job at both coming up with the name and these, like, base characters. They are, like, very, very strong. The name itself is just, like, is there any inspiration behind it, or is it just, like, some random word that popped up in his mind? 
Um, I'm not too sure. Maybe we could start the um the rumor that he's like ex Google employee or something. That would probably work. I don't know if it would be a very interesting rumor. Yeah, maybe maybe we could add some spice in. He got like fired and and lost his shares, so he started Google instead of Google. Should file. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, honestly, I'm I'm not too sure on how he came up with it. But um, yeah, it's a great name. I'm fairly confident we can find someone who got fired from Google with like some kind of scandal, controversy, something terrible they did, and be like, this is actually how Google was created. Great narrative. You always have to find some reason to fud the Googles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure someone will now um, take that and write a thread about how we've um, stolen the IP from Google or something. That, that would be fucking glorious, to be fair. Oh, man. I mean, now that we've said it, it's probably going to be Toshi as well. Oh, if there's anyone who's going to do it, it would be Toshi. Ah, oh, man. Uh, Toshi is still salty about the fact that I have better food heritage than he does, uh, which I'm going to say here because he can hear me and can't do anything about it. Glorious times. Okay. I am kind of, I think I'm kind of reaching a point where I've asked a lot of questions and we've come to like a solid duration unless there's something else you want to talk about. Yeah, I think we've covered like everything that I thought we'd speak about. Covered art, Google, Acid House, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I, I guess it's the ones that most people know about, and I I can't cover things that I don't know about, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I mean what I enjoy most is when you obviously start with like Google Asset House, all of that, and then you still manage to get to like what you were talking about of finding like the pleasure you find in the pursuit of things that you enjoy and everything. And I think that's the part that's most interesting and appeals to me the most, anyways, because it's super interesting and it's really cool. Yeah, man. I, I like. I think it just um, it's one of the things that you'll never know everything, and that's what's incredible about being human and, and kind of living in the world that we do. But also having now the access of the internet and connection to thousands of people, that you can still learn brand new things that like change your entire world or, or find spaces like this that for many of us that. Participating and people listening, it would have done exactly that. It would have changed our entire lives and brought us into places or communities and kind of allowed us to travel the world and meet different people. That it's just not the normal experience. Like, this isn't something that ever could have happened like five, 10 years ago that you'd be buying and selling JPEGs on the internet. And from that, you'd be able to go and meet all these people around the world and kind of hang out all the time. Like, I think that's a great example of, of the whole thing. Like there's so much to learn and there's so much to, to do. And um, yeah, luckily we have somewhere that it can be now shared amongst everyone here. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I think it's one of the things that were, one of the things that I want to do when I have like the budget to be able to do is there's a bunch of shit that I like and I'm like, I want to be able to try doing it myself. And just like the memory that comes to mind right now is going on vacation in Australia or New Zealand. I don't know which one it was and visiting like a glassmaker. I don't know if you've ever seen someone do it in front of you in their like shop, but it's really impressive. Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times. Um, I mean, going back to this whole space, you have people like Connor, who is like one of the best glass play, uh, glass blowers in America. And he's now like one contact away from you and you can just go and hang out in the shop all day. 
So <laughs> like that's, I mean, when it comes down to it, like I said earlier, I can just go around the world now and DJ in a club in Istanbul whenever I want because I know Honor Boy and Django. And the same for this example here. You can now go to the States and you can go and chill out with Connor and watch him do what he does all day and in the kind of in the place that normally you just don't have access to it is like the connections and the access and the network that you can have instantly and everyone's like on the same level because we're here for very similar reasons that's crazy is that sir connor on twitter just so i like can note that down somewhere no that's um let me find his username i dm it to you okay, i think he's got awesome, a man. bear marketer maybe Oh no, not them. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the nice ones, I promise. <laughs> I don't even know them. I just see these random pictures of like, I don't even know how the fuck you describe those NFTs. And it's like, oh shit, I don't know what's going to hit me now. So they're going to be really good or really bad. But, yeah, For the most dude, part, awesome. really good. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely some, uh, some rowdy people in that group. I mean, they're everywhere at the end of the day. They might just be a bit more vocal than others. Okay, well, with that being said, so yeah, great place to end. Um, like one last question, is there anyone that you would want to like hear on the podcast and uh, to join me on another episode? Uh, it is a very good question. I could give you a whole list of people that I would, uh, I would love to hear more about. I think um, two people that I... I do really enjoy their company and kind of seeing what they're up to, but don't really hear from that often. Um, Young Jotaro, who's in the audience right now, and Sleep is another one that I could just listen to for, for an endless amount of time. Um, there's also another guy that I, I connected to recently after after being kind of um, like mutual connections away for a long time. Um, Painsy, I believe his name is. Um, he's building some really cool stuff, but like his background is very similar to to mine, and like he's got a really cool story into like uh, how he got into all of this. So yeah, another one there. Okay, fair enough. Thank you very much. Um, well, on that note, typically, like you, this is your time to like shout anything out, like say anything you want to say, just like unprompted. Uh, I'll just say thank you very much for having me on, and appreciate what you're doing done some really cool episodes and uh, yeah i've been enjoying listening to them so yeah thank you and appreciate everyone listening thank you very much Sean. it was really nice having you and like i really appreciate it a lot um well that being said thanks everyone for listening um don't know who's up next because i'm like kind of fighting my feet again um but yeah i'll tweet it out and thanks everyone for joining oh and if you guys want you can just post your address in like the tweet that i linked and you get the beautiful picture that Sion took, which is really nice, by the way. Thanks a lot, Sion. It's really cool. Anytime, man. Thank you. Yeah. And on that note, see you later. Goodbye. And uh, talk to you another time. Maybe in Amsterdam. Yes, sir. Later.